0: I cannot stand Christmas shopping. Uh, I I get frustrated every time. I, I have to walk around in pitch black because, for some reason, it's just pitch black all the time at the moment, which I really don't like. And um, and there's too many people. They're barging through on the streets, and it it does rile me up a little bit. And so a few a few weeks ago, our sermon series uh, we started it, which is. The Christmas playlist, yes, and um, Pete started it off with "O Come, All Ye Faithful," which I think was a wonderful way to kick the series off. And uh, now, for anyone who hasn't been here for the previous sermons in the series, this is where we have different Christmas carols, and uh, for each week, and we use trigger points in them to uh, to remind you of different um, the important message within the carol. And uh, when you hear them over the Christmas period, they're, they're there to, to kind of remind you of what each sermon was uh, about and the core message behind it. And so when you're in that mad rush racing around, doing all the Christmas shopping that I loathe, um, <laughs> and you're getting fed up with all the people in the shops and on, uh, on the high streets, they can, you can hear these carols and they can bring you back to the real meaning of Christmas. And um, and where where they can bring you back to the amazing truth that God came and sent His Son as a child to redeem mankind. And I think there's always a pressure we can put on ourselves to make it the best Christmas we've ever had. Um, and for some some of us, in that in reality, um, Christmas is is lonely. And as Pete said, we we don't come feeling faithful, joyful or triumphant. And this can make all other songs feel hollow for yourself when you're constantly hounded by it's the most wonderful time of the year when in reality it may feel like the most dreadful. Whether that is conflict in yourself or with others, it can be particularly hard when there's division in your families as well. And uh, sometimes with everything that's happening, we don't want to come. But actually sometimes we don't need to come. Sometimes we're left uh, to cry out, Oh come, oh come, God, where are you? And this resonates within the carol that we're looking at this week, which is, "O oh come, oh come, Emmanuel. And it may at times be a carol that those of you can connect with, you may uh, you may feel the sense of despair in that first verse, where it says, uh, "O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom us, or ransom captive Israel." And I've reworded it to apply to us: "O come, O come, Emmanuel, ransom us. We mourn in loneliness here, waiting for you to draw near." But Emmanuel, God with us, comes as a child. So we, like the chorus says, can rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall or has come to us, Israel or us. And it's that reminder, that hope that Christ gives us as a Christian that encourages. Doesn't mean that it's to say that it isn't hard. It means that there's something pushing and helping us through, and that is Christ. We hear that word a lot at Christmas, don't we, Emmanuel? What does that really mean? We, we understand it as God with us, but there's, there's a whole kind of depth to that. And so we're going to look a little bit at that today. What does Emmanuel mean? But first we're going to speak the words of the, the first verse, and what well, I understood as the seventh verse, but there's a lot of different variety into which, which verse is the seventh verse. And we're also going to sing the chorus. So speak the words with me, please. Oh come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, who mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God draws near. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. King of nations, come embrace. And unify the human race. Command our sad divisions cease. And be for us the Prince of Peace. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. So this carol was uh, originally in Latin. It's called Veni, Veni, Emmanuel. And the author is unknown. Uh, The melody we have today was added to the translated words in the 9th century, which makes it one of the oldest Christmas carols that we sing. Also, and my mum will never let me forget this, but it isn't strictly a Christmas carol. Technically, it is an Advent carol. And apparently, according to my mum again, it is completely forbidden to sing this carol outside of those 24 days, which I would disagree with because I think there's truth in it, for every day of the year. And uh, one of the fascinating things about this carol is the narrative it tells through each of the verses, however many that you choose to sing, where it talks of Israel's captivity and exile. It talks of, uh, of God meeting with Moses on Sinai. It talks of the prophecies of Jesus. No, my phone's over there. Uh, it talks of uh, the key of David, that prophecy of Jesus. It talks of the branch of Jesse. And this carol is rich in theology, which, as a theology student myself, excites me. Uh, so when I, uh, when I used to, uh, well, I used to, when I was a child, I might add, um, and I'm quite a young child, always have this view of God sitting up on a cloud, Um, and pointing out what we should do and how we must live our lives. And um, it was a very, what's called, transcendent view. It's that kind of, God's up here, we're down here, and there's no real connection. And I don't know if this is the view of God that you hold, but if it is, I will say that this part of the talk will be a fresh version of God to you. But I assume... Most of you guys will have more of a relational view of God, where you have that personal relationship with him. There's no kind of space dividing you. And uh, the term Emmanuel can often be complex to know, and particularly if you're new to church and may not know what it means or the connotations with the word. And as I said earlier, it means God with us. And that can normally bring about more questions than answers sometimes. And uh, in this understanding, it is the action of God coming down to earth and making himself fully man and fully God in the form of Jesus. And so this, within uh, the world of theology, we call it the incarnation. And actually, I feel that term incarnation says perfectly, O come Emmanuel, in one word. So why did we need the incarnation? Why did we need Jesus to come? Why did God take the form of a man? So we look back to Genesis and we see the fall, uh, Where we as humans started to make mistakes. We started sinning to create disconnect from God. Where our ability to walk with God in the garden left. But that is where our aim is to return to. Our aim is to return back to that Eden creation ideal of walking with God in the garden. And it's hard to imagine this sometimes and it's hard to grasp. Uh, imagine walking through, let's say, the hot biome in Eden with, with the creator of the whole universe. Imagine the conversation that you'd have. Uh, what, what would be the first question you'd ask him? How, imagine how grand he would be it like would he be tall would he be short would he glow like would he have same color skin as us would he have skin like these questions it's it's hard to comprehend and um but this was the original god with us the original emmanuel interestingly there's uh, within genesis 3 is the first gospel image is the first kind of image of what Jesus is coming to do. And it says, he shall crush the serpent with his heel. And this is the first symbol of what Jesus is going to come and do. And immediately, at, it's, that is immediately after the fall. That Jesus will come and he will crush death. And so there are many places throughout the Old Testament uh, that the Israelites seem to almost reach that God with us point there is this symbolism of the pillar of smoke uh, throughout the rest of the bible which kind of shows god's presence there is uh, as they are leaving uh, egypt there is the pillar of smoke that divides them and the egyptians chasing after them there's the the pillar of smoke that comes and dedicates the temple in exodus when they have finally put together that tent and there is also um the uh, Ark of the Covenant uh, which held God's presence. But, uh, and it's it's a clear theme throughout the Bible of God drawing us back to that creation ideal of being with him. Back to the life of being in the garden. And there are constant narratives of God reaching out to us. (coughs) But the ways of experiencing God in the Old Testament aren't the ideal. The ideal is God's presence within us all of the time. Not things, not within things near us, like the Ark of the Covenant, or some smoke near us. This is where the incarnation comes in. The promise of Jesus. The promise that God will come down and change things. That the Messiah will come and bring with him the presence of God that can live within us. And that is through the Holy Spirit. And so Isaiah 7.14 says, and has that promise of Emmanuel, the virgin shall come, shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And we have to accept that Jesus is fully God. And uh, in one of my favorite books ever, uh, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis uh, gives this gives us this proposal of how we have only three choices about who Jesus is. Either he was evil, either he was deluded, and he uses an interesting uh, metaphor of a boiled egg, um, or he was who he said he was and is the Son of God and is God. And so we have to accept that Jesus is God with us. That he is fully God and fully man at the same time. He is also God with us in our weaknesses. So if he's within us all the time, he is with us in our weaknesses. We don't feel like he's close to us. He is within us. He is still with us. He is still within us. And that is because of the Holy Spirit and the incarnation. And actually the Holy Spirit being able to live within us is because God came down and took the form of man and so it's important to note the complexity of understanding the christian story and i nod at least to the fact that a virgin birth in biological senses is impossible but i feel i couldn't go through the sermon without at least passing over that and, and noting that and i would struggle to attempt to even explain uh, explain it even though I've just had two whole days on apologetics, I still couldn't do it for you. I'm, but I'm going to say that it was an amazing act that only God could do. But also, explaining it isn't the point of the sermon, so sorry guys. Um, so God with us should impact our every day. We, How we live each day is affected whether we notice it or not by the fact that God is with us. It means that we can live with God for however we are. We can worship him through everything we do. And we should. And there is such power in the act of doing things with God. Whether it's mowing the lawn, whether it's putting up your Christmas lights. If you're doing it with God, there is such power in that. Like you do with any friend. You drive around in their car um, or, in their, or in your car with them. Why not spend that time with God? Why not pray while you drive? Obviously not shutting your eyes, because that would be really dangerous. Uh, (laughs) Or listen to worship music. And when you spend more time with your friend, you get closer. And the more time you spend intentionally with God, the deeper you both go in your relationship together. I understand life is busy and hectic, even when it isn't Christmas period. But I've always found That the more I intentionally find that time with God, the more content with life I feel, and the more at peace within myself I feel. And this is another significance of God with us, is that inner peace. But it is also one of the consequences of God with us, is peace, whether we like it or not. Uh, And and this peace is internally and it's externally. Uh, Internally is the peace that a life with Jesus gives, as I just said, that that as you deepen your relationship, you gain that peace. But sometimes you can't feel really at peace, even when you have that relationship. Uh, sometimes when everything's going wrong, you don't have a peace within you. And you don't feel like God is there. But you can rely on the fact that God is within us all the time. And externally, it's uh, it's peace on earth through The Prince of Peace. It's all too common to be hearing peace on earth at this time of year, isn't it? And it's all too common doesn't feel like a reality every time we hear it. Whether it's division amongst the nations uh, on this planet or it's division amongst society. One of my favourite Christmas adverts shows how the truth of Christmas can, and the truth of what happened at Christmas with Jesus can bring peace even in a most unlikely of situations. So this next section is uh, is particularly focusing on the seventh verse of uh, O Come, O come, and it it starts with King. <clears throat> sorry, doesn't start with that. It starts, King of nations, come embrace and unify the human race. And I thought while preparing this sermon that uh, this will be the first sermon here after the election, and even though while I was typing this up i didn 't know the results uh, what it would be, I still felt a particular urge to encourage unity in this time and um, as we found out, on, found out on Friday morning that um, the conservatives uh, got a major um, got the word right now. It's a good Majority, thank you. That was the one. I think so. Um, where there has been um, a, a weeks of lack of unity, it is important for us to be united. And I appreciate that there are people here that um, that don't agree with each other, um, but we have God with us to unite us. I'm often finding myself frustrated and upset by the uh, the constant lack of unity in this country in particular, over the particular years anyway. And the polarizing that happens almost on a daily basis. I believe that it doesn't boil down to just one thing, but is uh, a construct of loads of different things coming together. There's this constant disconnection we find ourselves in through social media and technology. There um, there isn't much community or connection amongst humans as there was many years ago, even decades ago. And that's not to suggest that the world was a, uh, a peaceful place when that connection was happening. But I, as I said, I think there are many things at play here. And there, there is this postmodern phase that I really don't understand, uh, where... Um, <clears throat> which is the idea that everyone has their own... Personal truth. And that the gospel is in complete contrast to that when it says that there is one truth and that that is God. But this view of personal truth has spawned this odd social norm that you dislike someone just because you disagree with them. And there's been so, so often I have to reiterate to people that uh, that aren't necessarily Christians that just because I disagree with them doesn't mean that I dislike them i still like them i and i still and i try and tell them and i just really don't understand the unhealthy disagreement culture that is prevalent within society now and i pray that god would come now and heal this in our culture lord we pray that a culture of disagreeing well would come here i'm confident that most of you have experienced some of these things that have that have caused disunity and I'm sure that there are things that contribute to it that I haven't thought of. And I, and I believe that these things can be solved by faith in Jesus Christ. The disconnect of social media can be solved by the community that is church. And I believe that the teaching of Christ from Mark 12, 30 to 31, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself would lead to a solution of disagreeing well and I have faith that it will and I challenge you all to continue to pray for unity amongst the human race uh, where when you hear this carol it can act as a reminder it can act as that kind of touch point to remind you to pray for unity amongst the human race now going back to the general election for a second whether you are happy or upset with the result there has always been a general propaganda from both major parties that if either gets um, get into power, um, then there'll be chaos and despair and and a desperate position. But the encouragement I would give to you is to lean and turn to Jesus for comfort and hope. And I guess if you're happy with the result, still to look to Jesus as your hope and God with us. Someone that I've been away studying with this week um, told me of an amazing way that he responds to every election. I um, say so this guy he doesn't he doesn't tell anyone about who he's going to vote for leading up to or who he voted for after. Um, and then after, and as soon as he knows the results, he completely disregards who he voted for, uh, doesn't let that bias affect him, and he just spends a whole time praying for the party in power. He doesn't say a negative word against the the new government in charge, but he prays for the party in power and for the new prime minister. He doesn't let his own bias or opinion get in the way um, of the fact that the current government, whether he voted for them or not, need his prayer. And plenty of it. And uh, on Wednesday morning, I, I was having my devotional time And I read this, uh, I've been using this uh, new prayer app that I found, and I read this amazing prayer that I thought I would share with you now. So, let's pray. There is a world out there that is oversupplied with theories and technology, but drastically undersupplied with hope. You, however, like Christ, are tomorrow's people. Those who know the future is pregnant with promise and hope. This same Jesus comes again with glory to judge the living and the dead. So go and live out your hope graciously and courageously. The grace of Christ Jesus, who is the same today, yesterday, and forever, will lead you to the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And then take you on to those tasks and joys, which will prepare you for the greater glory which is to come. Amen. <clears throat> now the reason that we as a human race need unifying is due to division in this world. The next line of, uh, of verse 7 of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is command our sad division cease. This is a cor- direct cry to cease, to put an end to our division as humanity. It's all too familiar to look throughout the history of humanity and see the lack of unity. Whether it's Cain killing Abel right at the beginning, or the the Egyptians enslaving the Israelites, or the Jewish leaders persecuting the early church in Acts, or the many wars that have taken place since then, or the many people groups that have been oppressed. During World War II, Hitler commanded all Religious groups in Germany to unite so that they so that he could control them. Among the Brethren Assemblies, half complied and half refused. Those who went along with the order had a much easier time. Those who did not faced harsh persecution. In almost every family of those who resisted, someone died in a concentration camp. When the war was over, feelings of bitterness ran deep between the groups and there was much tension finally they decided that the situation had to be healed leaders from each group met at a quiet retreat for several days each person spent time in prayer uh, examining his own heart in the light of Christ's command then they came together and francis schaefer who told of the incident asked a friend who was there what did you do then We were just one, he replied. As they confessed their hostility and bitterness to God and yielded to his control, the Holy Spirit created a spirit of unity among them. Love filled their hearts and dissolved their hatred. When love prevails among believers, especially in times of strong disagreement, it presents to the world an indisputable mark of a true follower of Jesus Christ. And when I first read uh, and heard this story, I was amazed at the example that it gives the world of how the church can solve division. We seek forgiveness from God for our sins, and we invite the Holy Spirit in to create a spirit of unity. There is a passage in Mark three twenty-five. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. This group of believers showed that this is the case and took steps to reunite. And it's amazing what God can do when two groups of people who love him aim to solve their division through the ways that are shown in this story. And particularly at Christmas time, relational troubles and division can be brought into focus for you. It may be spending loads of time with family or, or friends that, um, that may be expecting to see you or whether uh, whatever your issue may be uh, with them. I would encourage you to reach out to those uh, with love to those family members that you may struggle with or have divisive issues with. God showed us through his reaching out to us how to reach out to those who oppose him. You could do this through choosing to forgive them and sending a card with a message of love or ringing them or visiting them or buying a present for them. So when you next hear this carol, whether it's over this Christmas period or the many to come, think and be aware of that internal conflict, that internal kind of conflict of peace. That lack of peace that you may have within you that causes division. And think back to the understanding of God with us and draw near to him again. For he is God with us and God in us. Let that give us peace and stir up hope in our hearts.